All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy of every ounce of adoration, Lord, that we could ever give You. You're worthy of heartfelt worship. And Lord, I just confess in this moment, Lord, that I am completely unable to bring about any good to this church in my flesh. And You know that, Lord. You declare that in Your Word. So God, I ask that You would help me uh, during this time, Lord, that You would help me by Your Holy Spirit. God, that You would give power to the faint and to Him who has no might, You would increase in strength. God, I pray that You would help this church. I pray that You would help us corporately, God, to hear Your Word, to hear You speak to us. And God, I ask that You would. Lord, I ask that You would speak to Your children. God, that You would give edification to Your body and encouragement to Your sons and Your daughters. Lord, I ask that You would exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have not been with us the past few weeks, we are on the, on the backside of a series of Jesus. And we have walked through thus far, we've walked through the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, last week, the ascension of Christ, and this week we have made our way to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may seem weird to you at first of why in the world are we doing a teaching on the Holy Spirit in the middle of a teaching on Jesus. And what I hope to, to make clear to you is by the time we're finished today, I hope that makes perfect sense that it would fall right in line. I want to spend some time before we jump into the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of just underline, underlining this point again of the importance of Christ-likeness. Why would we even ever do a sermon series like this? Why would we ever do that? And I want to spend some time digging, digging into this uh, before we get started today. Um, listen to this John Stock quote, and then we'll walk into, uh, we'll start unpacking some scriptures of Christ-centeredness. John Stott, Christianity is Christ. Who Christ is and what He has done are the rock upon which the Christian religion is built. If He was not who He said He was and He did not do what He said He came to do, then the foundation is undermined and the whole thing will collapse. Take Christ from Christianity and there is nothing left. And I want to just unpack that that idea a little bit more of the importance of Christ-centeredness. The Bible is about Jesus, okay? If you have been around Grace Community Church for any length of time, you know that we beat this drum like a hammer. We have beat this into the ground, and we have no intention of stopping anytime soon. The Bible, the Word of God, is about Jesus Christ, okay? That's nothing new if you've been around here, okay? You need to be reminded of this often. If you haven't been around here, I just want to unpack this for you. Okay, we see this in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, that the main purpose of the Bible is it reveals and leads us to Jesus. John 5, verse 39 and 40, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. And we see from this verse a group of people who were very mixed up, they stopped at the Scriptures and they refused to come to the person who inspired the Scriptures, God Himself. 
Okay? And the Bible exists to drive you into a relationship with a person, the living God. Okay? The Bible is about Jesus. God's purposes in creation and the entire scope of human history are about Jesus. Okay, listen to this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Everything that exists, exists for Him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's creation, exists for Jesus Christ. Okay, how about history? The entire scope of history exists for Jesus. Every click of time that has ever existed is going towards a day where according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him, and that Him is Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite or to sum up everything that you have ever imagined in Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. Creation is about Christ. And history itself is working towards this day where everything in heaven and on earth is summed up or united in Jesus. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the end of time, everything and everyone in heaven and on earth will confess that Jesus is Lord, the righteous and the wicked. Every angel in heaven and every demon and Satan himself will bow to Christ and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything ends and He's exalted. Everything that you can imagine in heaven and on earth. These things being true, Christ-centeredness, okay? All these things working towards Christ, Christ-centeredness, these things being true, it should be no surprise to you that the Bible describes Christian growth that's individually and corporately, it's all about Jesus. Your life as a believer and your growth is toward Christ-likeness. And the goal of your entire life is to bring glory to Jesus. Listen to this. Christian growth is about Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. I ask you this. Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Many of you are, and praise God for that. Are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm not going to read that. Go back and read this verse later, but I'm going to take a snippet out of this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 paints the Christian life as a race that we are all to run. Listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Okay? That verse just compared your Christian life to a, to a race. 
And that same verse just told you that your Christian life is to be one uninterrupted gaze to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are never to take your eyes off of Him. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus? Many of your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And praise God for that. Christian growth, all of Christian growth, is all about Jesus. Okay, listen to this. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that the Christian life from beginning to end is about Jesus. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So that's your individual life. It's about Christ. Now listen to this. Church growth corporately is all about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 describes a church as attaining to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Christian individuals, it's all about Jesus. Your Christian life is all about Jesus. And churches exist to be conformed to Jesus Christ. Okay? This is the theme of Christ-centeredness. It saturates almost everything you could ever imagine in the Word of God. Okay? Do you see how Jesus is the aim and the goal of almost everything? He's the aim and goal of the Bible. He's the aim and goal of creation. He's the aim and goal of history. He is the aim and goal of individual Christian lives. And He's the aim and the goal of churches. Do you see this? Do you see this Christ-centeredness theme? It's almost in everything. Now I want to give a warning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Now this, this has been said many times and many of you have have taken a strong heed to this warning, but I want to underline it again. Colossians 2, verse 19. It describes a group influencing the Colossian church like this. Listen to this. Whatever you know about this group, you need to know this. This group was not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows into a growth that is from God. You have a group of people in the Colossian church and everything I've just laid out for you, Christ being the center of everything, the center of the Christian life, the center of the church, and they departed from it. And they didn't hold fast to the head Jesus. And they forfeited Christian growth when they did that. Now the sad thing is they had no idea they did that. They were completely deceived. If you go back to Colossians 2, you'll see this. What if you began to measure your Christian life by how tightly and how, how firm you are holding on to Christ? What if you began to do that? This is Christian growth. And let this verse serve, continue to serve as a strong warning. Never move away from Jesus. Never move away from Him as the center of everything. Okay? A couple of you, not, not too many, but a couple of you have asked me, why have you and Ryan decided to do a series just walking through uh, Jesus, why have you decided to do this? This is why. Everything is about Him. Everything is about Him. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And I'm convinced of this, and Ryan is as well. The only way that this church will be presented mature to Jesus Christ is if we herald and proclaim Jesus over and over and over again. Here's what I mean. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the only hope that this church has is having Christ proclaimed to us over and over and over again. This is mature Christian growth, Christ-centeredness. Jesus is the pathway 
for progress for this church and every church that's ever existed. Okay, this is why we're teaching through this explicitly right now. And this is why through almost everything we've taught through, it keeps coming back up. Jesus. Jesus in all the Bible. Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus in the book of Ezra. Jesus. And it's going to continue to be like that. And it needs to be like that in your life. Okay? So that was an intro to remind you of why we're doing what we're doing right now. Why we're right in the middle of a series on Christ. Okay? And we're about to transition to our topic today, our subject, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to I just unpack just a couple more things. What we've been going through, and it's not extremely important that you know this terminology, but what we've been going through for the past several weeks is a study in Christology. Okay? That word is a fancy word that just means a study in the person and work of Jesus. Who He is and what He's done. And, we, and specifically, we have focused on the work of Jesus. And we have done that week after week. We, we began to unpack what did Jesus do. He was born. He lived. He died. He was raised. He was ascended to the Father. And then we made our way to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I want you to see that, the progression there. Before we unpack this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I want to, just a quick, couple of quick reminders to you. This is not the main point of this message but I think it would be wrong for me not to remind you of some things about the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about Him being poured out, I want these things to be buried into your brain. Okay? I want to give you two reminders about the Holy Spirit. The first one is this, that the God of the Bible is the Godhead. Okay? The doctrine of the Trinity, one God, three persons, has been passed down to us through church history. And this is the way that men who have saturated themselves with what does the Word of God teach? This is how they sorted out what the Word of God teaches about the Godhead. One God, three persons, the Trinity. Okay? Now the Holy Spirit is referred to as the third person of the Trinity. And my first reminder for you is that the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Okay? You see this in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And in verse 3, you find Peter saying to... Ananias, a guy named Ananias, he says, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Verse 4, he says the same thing. He says, you lied to God. Okay? And you see in verses 3 and 4 of Acts chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit is God Himself. Okay? So my first reminder to you is about the deity of the Spirit. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's the living God. The Spirit of God. And my second reminder to you is that because He is God, He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Drive that in your soul and never forget it. The Holy Spirit is a He. He's not an it. Okay? Because He's God, He's a person. And what that means is He has a personality. He thinks. He speaks. He acts. He comforts. He moves. He's grieved. He's a person. Okay? And so we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You need to know that God Himself was outpoured. And then it wasn't outpoured. A person, a living God was poured out on the church. So I want these things to be buried in your brain. Now our subject today is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what I want us to see that, it, that the natural progression is that it follows the ascension of Jesus Christ. And Ryan covered that last week. If you, if, if you were here, you remember that. If you weren't, last week Ryan covered the ascension of Jesus. Where he ascended 
after he was resurrected from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Okay? Now the Holy Spirit poured out follows the ascension. Here's what I mean. When Christ ascended bodily to heaven, the need on earth for the Spirit of God could not have been more urgent. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. The two events, the ascension and the downpour of the Holy Spirit, are tied together. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, Jesus, has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He ascended, He received, and He poured out. The, ascent, the ascension of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit are connected. And you also see this in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. Who those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Same idea. Okay, That word glorified there refers to the exaltation, the ascension of Jesus. Same idea. John 7, it says the Spirit's going to be given, but it's not going to be given until Jesus is glorified. And then Acts chapter 2 says Jesus ascended and the Spirit of God was poured out. Okay, these things are connected. Now the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This, this should be something that you've heard over and over again in your Christian life. Before we turn there, I want us to see that the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost is a rich fulfillment of many, many promises from God's Word. And I'm going to pop these off real quick. These references are on your sheet. You can go back and, and read these later, but I'm going to read through these real quick. Isaiah chapter 32. These are all promises that God had broke into human history with His Word, and He can never lie. And He says, I'm about to do something with my Holy Spirit. And I want you to listen to these. Isaiah 32, verse 14 through 17. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of the flocks, until the Spirit is poured on us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3 and through 5. I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon my offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one shall say, I am the Lord's. Another will call upon the name of, of Jacob. And another will write on his hand, I am the Lord's. The name himself by the name, and name himself by the name of Israel. I will pour out my spirit, God says. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statues and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. 
Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 27. And I will pour my, put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 29. And I will not hide my face from them anymore when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. And then we have the New Testament. These promises start breaking into the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse 8. John the Baptist says that, or uh, Jesus says this. I have, uh, John the Baptist, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49. This is Jesus himself. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. This is Jesus. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And just promise. God, who can never lie, just promise. He's breaking through with these promises about the Spirit. Okay? And then we see them all come together and all fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And I want us to turn there. Uh, turn there now if you're not there. Acts chapter 2 is where these, these all come to a fountainhead and these promises find their fulfillment. We're going to start with Acts chapter 2, 1, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to read that together. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Alright, I want us to see three things. We're going to start unpacking Acts 2. I want us to see three things of that passage that we just read. We were just exposed to three phenomena, three signs in these verses. And I want to, I want to mention them to you. The first is a sound. second is a sight. And the third is a strange speech. Okay? First thing we saw there was a sound in verse 2. A rushing mighty wind. Second thing, there was a sight. Okay, And this is really hard to get your hands around of what happened because so many different translations say it different because it's so hard to understand. But tongues of fire rested on people. Okay, It was something that could be seen. It rested on each one of them. There was a sound and a sight. Okay? And then the last thing I want to show you is in verse 4, there was strange speech. And this group that the Holy Spirit came down on, they began to speak in other tongues. Okay? Now here's what I want you to know about this. These phenomena, these signs, point to the significance of the event. None of those signs that I just read is the point of Acts chapter 2. Okay? If you have ever made it the point of Acts chapter 2, shame on you. Okay? None, of the, none of the signs that I just read is the main point of Acts chapter 2. And I want to unpack that together. Think back, if you were with us several weeks ago, when we were talking about Jesus dying on the cross. Okay? There began to be things that happened when He died on the cross. Okay? And, and what, what our charge was is get behind the historical narrative of what happened to Jesus and see the significance 
of the death of Christ. And what I mean is Jesus dies on the cross. He physically died. Okay? There was darkness over the entire land for hours. There was an earthquake. The temple ripped in half. Okay? All these things began to happen around Jesus' death. Now, what was the point of all that? It was to show you the significance of the death of Christ. Okay? The death of Jesus was not about the physical pain He endured. You could have been sitting there at Calvary that day and you could have watched Him die and you could have been completely blind to the reasons for which Christ died. He died as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Okay? The, those signs around the death of Jesus pointed you to the significance of these things. Take the same idea and apply it to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. These things are showing you that something just happened. Okay? Don't miss the point of Pentecost. Listen to this. Don't, and, and do not let tongues hijack Acts chapter 2. Okay? Don't let that happen. These three signs point to something else, something greater. If you would have been there that day, you would have experienced these signs. And yet you could, have admit, you could have missed the significance of everything that you were seeing. And in fact, that is exactly what happens to a group of people in verse 13. And it says, but others mocked them and said they are filled with new wine. Okay? These signs, I love this. I love the way that this is described. These signs, J.I. Packer calls them the trimmings. Okay? But the significance, the meat is something different. The trimmings point to something else. And to grasp the significance of these signs, we must look to verse 4. This is the meat. This is the central idea. Verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? This is the main point of Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God was just poured out on all of His people. And yet this group in verse 13 had missed the point. They missed the significance. So in verses 14 through 21, you see Peter... And he stands up and he begins to address this group that mocked him. And he said, no, you've got it wrong. You don't understand. And he begins to point this group to the Old Testament, specifically to the prophet Joel. Okay? And we see this in verse 16. Peter says to this, to this group, but this is, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And twice in verse 17 and verse 18, Peter tells the, the crowd... Look, here's what just happened. The Spirit of God was just poured out. Just like God had promised. This is what Joel had said. This is God fulfilling His Word. And he points them to the central event that the Spirit of God was just poured out. The Spirit of the living God poured out on God's people. Okay, I want you to think about this word for just a second. Poured out. Think about this. Poured out. The word picture for that. Okay, This is the best example that I can give you. It's like a tropical downpour. This is what God has done. This is not a little tiny event. This is a central event. God gave a tropical downpour of His Spirit, which is God, who is a person, and He poured down His Spirit upon His people in Acts chapter 2. Okay? What does this mean? What's the significance of this? Well, it means that God just gave us Himself. You understand that? That's the significance of the Spirit being poured out, that God just gave us Himself all of God's people, this is a new covenant promise, would now have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling them. Okay? Or, or, or think about these terms. They would be baptized in, immersed in, saturated with, drenched with the Holy Spirit. These are the word pictures of Acts chapter 2. This was a powerful moment. And this was the gift of God's abiding presence. 
And this is what this means. If you're coming through and you're trying to fit actually... I want to understand the significance here. God's presence once dwelt with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Okay? And then Adam was banished from the presence of God. And you see, the presence of God next dwells in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then in the temple in Jerusalem, right? And then the Lord Jesus comes to earth and the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him bodily. And the presence of God is in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus ascends and the presence of God is poured down on God's people in the Holy Spirit. Now the presence of God dwells in His people. This is the significance of Acts chapter 2. God's indwelling presence is meant to bring us into communion with the living God. A closeness, a conscious closeness with Almighty God. Thus the Spirit, listen to this, would become the highest blessing of the Gospel. What do you mean by that, man? That's blasphemy, right? No, when we get the Spirit, we get God. Okay, We say that all the time. The highest blessing of the Gospel is that you get God Himself. And this is what the, the gift of the Spirit is. It's referred to as the gift of God in Acts 2, 38, Acts 8, 19 and 20, Acts 11, 16 and 17. It's called the gift of God. And Acts 2, 39 and Galatians 3, 14 call it the promise. Okay? This is the highest blessing of the gospel because we get God and God himself would now dwell in every believer. Now I want to ask you this. I cannot, for myself... I'm a simple guy from Pearl, Mississippi. For myself, I cannot imagine a higher blessing than the indwelling God Himself. Can you? Can you imagine a higher blessing than this? This is is not the gift. This is the giver. We get God Himself indwelling. This is the the significance of Acts chapter 2. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? And then listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Individually, we're the temple of God. Holy Spirit, corporately, we are being built together for the dwelling place of God. This is the work of God. Okay, This is a new covenant promise fulfilled at Pentecost. Spirit poured out on the church. And I want to say this. I want to underline this point. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit was not active in the Old Testament. Okay, And I, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit inaugurates His new covenant ministry. He didn't stop anything that He was doing before. He just added to it. And there's a new error to the, to the Holy Spirit's ministry that got inaugurated in Acts chapter 2. Okay, The new covenant promises of the Spirit far exceed the old covenant. Okay, This is why 2 Corinthians chapter 3 calls the old covenant the ministry of death and the new covenant the ministry of the Spirit. The old covenant once had glory but it's become to have no glory at all because the new covenant has surpassed it. Okay? The Holy Spirit's been around eternal because He's the eternal Spirit. It's not like He just showed up in Acts chapter 2, but there's something very significant. The new covenant of the ministry of the Spirit just got inaugurated and started. I want you to see that. Now, what did Jesus teach us about the Holy Spirit? And for this, uh, there are many, many verses in John chapter 14 through 16, and we're going to pick out a few. 
In the mind of Christ Himself, it was a great advantage that He would ascend that so that He could pour out His Spirit on the disciples. Listen to this. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. So Jesus was about to depart and He had promised to send them a Helper. Or listen to John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Okay? Please note this, that Jesus was going to send them another Helper. Another Helper. Okay? That word helper there is the Greek word paraclete. And it's used in 1 John 2.1 to describe Jesus Himself. You catching that? So Jesus Himself is the paraclete in 1 John 2.1 and He's going to send them another paraclete in John 14. Okay? And what I want you to see that the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is going to be so closely resembled to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ to His disciples that He's called another Helper. You see that? And this was a great advantage in Jesus' mind toward His disciples that this Helper would be given that would be with them always. Okay? Then Jesus promised He will be with you forever. And I wonder if you thank God for that today. That there's never been a moment in your Christian life where the Holy Spirit has left you. He is your helper to be with you forever. These are beautiful promises from Jesus as He teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Now I want to close with, uh, with unpacking something. Okay, and I want to say this from the get-go. This is a massive topic. The Holy Spirit is a massive topic because He's God. He's unsearchable. Okay? And there are many different rabbit trails that we could go down about the Holy Spirit. And many of them would be very profitable and very good. But I'm going to pick one. Okay, and, and I'm going to unpack why I'm going to pick it because I think that you, can, that you can take the Scriptures of what the Scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit and that you can separate it out that the Holy Spirit's main aim in everything He does is one thing and that everything else He does fits under this one thing. I believe that. I'm going to show you from the Scriptures why I believe that. And that's where we're headed. But know ahead of time that this is not an exhaustive teaching of the Spirit of God. There are many other things. And I pray that you would search them out for yourself. Okay? And I want to submit to you that the ultimate aim of the Holy Spirit in His new covenant ministry is to magnify Christ. Okay? Now, let's go back. First thing I told you was the, the importance of Christ-centeredness. And we're in the middle of a series on Jesus. And I just told you that the main thing the Holy Spirit does, He does... All kind of other things, but the main thing He does is to magnify Christ. And once we're finished with this, I want you to see how that it seamlessly fits in with the work of Jesus. Okay? The, the ultimate goal of the Spirit is to glorify Christ. Let's look at this together. This is the teaching of Jesus Himself. John chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then listen to this in John 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. 
And again, in John 16, verse 13, we read this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, I know that last one, John 16, 13, is firmly fixed in a lot of your minds here. And you have linked that verse with John chapter 17, 17, which says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so when you hear the phrase, He will lead you into the truth, some of you are thinking, He's, he's going to lead me into the truth and His word is truth. The Holy Spirit's going to lead me to the Bible. And I want to say praise God for that. Okay? I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to come against that at all. But I want to also remind you that John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus Christ says He is the truth. So if we go that route, then the Holy Spirit leads you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit witnesses to Christ. And the Holy Spirit guides us to Jesus. Okay? This is His new covenant ministry. All right, And I think a helpful example is that the Holy Spirit's new covenant ministry can be compared to a floodlight. Okay? His main aim is He is he's like a floodlight that shines light on Jesus Christ. Okay? He points to Him. He points us to Him. And listen to this Spurgeon quote. This is Charles Spurgeon. The chief office of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. He does many other things under this main aim. The Holy Spirit is our Lord's glorifier. And as Spurgeon said, it is absolutely true that the Holy Spirit does many other things like conviction of sin, like regeneration, like empowerment, like sanctification, like spiritual gifts, but they all fit under the umbrella of He glorifies Jesus. All these things fit under this. The Holy Spirit's new covenant ministry is Christ-centered. And I want to give you a warning. Beware of any spirit that minimizes Jesus. 1 John 4.3 Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is and is in the world already. Anything that causes you to not hold fast to the head, Colossians chapter 2, is not from the Holy Spirit. Anything that causes you to not hold fast to the head. I don't care how spiritual you think it is or how right you think it is. Anything that causes you to depart from Christ is not from the Holy Spirit. Anything. And I want to leave you with just several examples of how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Now this is just barely going to be scratching the surface of these things. And there are many, many other texts in the Bible that show you a work that the Spirit does. And you can dig on that and study that. And you can get it to the end and you'll see, oh, this points to Christ. We're going to look at several of those together, but this is by no means every example. Okay, so a great thing for you to do as you're reading and studying the Bible, you're thinking, well, he said it's the main name. I wonder, you know, let's dig around in here and we're going to see some of these. And I hope it's a catalyst for your own study. Uh, go to Acts chapter 1. Let me get there myself. I had so many of these that I really had to start chopping them down because there's no way, uh, especially for time's sake, there's no way that I can... Uh, but I didn't even plan on saying this one. This one is just like, I can't, I can't leave that one alone. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this. Now the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in everything. And that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're unpacking right now. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Holy Spirit, come upon you and you receive power. To do what? Power to do what? 
to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see that? Holy Spirit comes down in power to what? So you be a witness to Jesus Christ. And you see this. We're in Acts chapter 2. Well, think about this. Peter stands up to this group that he just, that he just talked to. And in verse 22 through verse 26, he preaches a sermon. Before he preaches a sermon, you know that Peter is full of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what people full of the Holy Spirit talk about. Do you wonder that? 14 verses. Verse 22 to verse 36. 14 verses. And every single verse except two, he explicitly talks about Jesus. Okay, so let's be informed from God's Word. If you are filled with the Spirit of God, you talk about Jesus. Are you filled with the Spirit of God? If the answer is yes, do you talk about Jesus? Is this how you talk? Do you see how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus? He comes and He fills Peter. And Peter launches out and preaches Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we have this idea of the new birth, regeneration. And Jesus says that you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Well, two verses later in verse 5, you know what it calls that new birth? Born of the Spirit. Okay? Okay? So we have to be born of the Spirit. And I wonder how that happens. Same passage of Scripture. John chapter 3, you come down to verse 14. And listen to this. 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So how does one become born of the Spirit? The Spirit of God points you to Jesus Christ. You see this. He glorifies Jesus. Romans chapter 5. Ryan read this verse earlier. Let's, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 5. We read something that the Holy Spirit does for us. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Now how does that work? Three verses later. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Three verses later, God demonstrates His love for us. How? And that He dies for us while we're still sinners. The Holy Spirit shows you the love of God by driving you to the cross of Jesus. Do you understand this? The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and everything that He does. This is how He shows you the love of God. How would you even know the love of God apart from the cross of Christ? He drives you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus in spiritual gifts. Hey, what do you mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 is a big passage for spiritual gifts. You know what the first thing that 1 Corinthians 12 teaches? Listen to this in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says that Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The first thing He wants you to know about the Holy Spirit is that He always exalts Jesus. The very first thing in 1 Corinthians 12. And listen to Revelation 19 verse 10. The, the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of prophecy. 
Prophecy, that's a gift of the Spirit. And it's linked to the testimony of Jesus. Do you see this? Now we could go on. The last one I'm going to leave you with is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is uh, verse 7 through verse 18. The Holy Spirit, examples of how the Holy Spirit points to, magnifies, and glorifies Jesus Christ. Okay? In verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 3, the new covenant is called the ministry of the Spirit. In verse 12 of that same passage, this ministry of the Spirit gives us great boldness. You see that? Okay, verse 8, it's the ministry of the Spirit. And the ministry of the Spirit in verse 12 gives us great boldness to do what? To do what? Not to be like Moses in verse 13. Do you see that? If you don't have this in front of you right now, please, please write this passage down. This one might be a little harder to grasp unless you're reading it. Okay? Verse 12, it makes you bold to do what? Not like Moses, verse 13. And you've got to skip all the way down to verse 18. Makes you bold to do what? Moses veiled his face, not like him. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Do you see this? The ministry of the Spirit makes you bold to behold the glory of the Lord. That's Jesus. This is what the Spirit does. He points you to, He magnifies Christ. The ministry of the Spirit makes us very bold to behold Jesus. And that verse finishes. And as we do this, we are being transformed into the same image. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as you behold Jesus, you're transformed into the same image as sanctification, Christ-likeness. And that verse ends, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work drives you to look at Christ and the Spirit sanctifies you into the image of Jesus. Do you see this? This is His ultimate aim. Okay? This is His work. All right? I want to encourage you to press on in this Christ-centered view of the Holy Spirit. These are just a few examples. Okay, let that be like an appetizer for your own study. Alright? Now, I want to say this. Christ-centeredness, as I've emphasized this, Christ-centeredness should not be understood as neglecting the Holy Spirit. It actually is the exact opposite thing. Okay? It actually honors the Holy Spirit because it's actually, according to the Word of God, this is what the ministry of the Holy Spirit is all about. It actually honors Him. Okay? In the same way the Son was sent to glorify the Father, the Spirit was sent to glorify the Son. Do you understand that? And when we say the Son was sent to glorify the Father, we don't say, well, poor Jesus. We don't say that. Okay? This is the work of God. The Spirit was sent to glorify the Son. So far from neglecting the Holy Spirit, the, this Christ-centered view of the Spirit actually allows for a deeper understanding of the Spirit's work and a deeper closeness with the Holy Spirit. Now that's what I'm submitting to you. So this, let's, let's walk this into some application. Okay? This whole idea of the Holy Spirit downpour. And the Holy Spirit's main aim in all things is to exalt Christ. And I want to encourage you to do a few things. The first is I want to encourage everybody in here to realize the importance of the Spirit of God. Okay? You need to realize the importance of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. 
compare it to two other things that you, that you know are important. If it weren't for the ascension, we would have no king in heaven and no intercessor. Do you understand if Jesus wouldn't have ascended, he couldn't have sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, we'll finish this sentence. If it weren't for the Spirit, dot, dot, dot. If it weren't for the Spirit poured out what? Listen to these. We would have no Bible, no inspiration of Scripture, no holy men of old who spoke as they were carried along in the Holy Spirit. If you have no Bible, you have no gospel. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, you'd never understand the Bible even if you had it. It would be a cold, dead book to you because the inner ministry of the Spirit is to flash your eyes that this is the truth of God. You'd never, you'd never grab a hold of it. There would be no conviction of sin if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. You'd never be convicted of your sin. There'd be no regeneration. There'd be no Christians. If the Holy Spirit didn't come, there would be no Christians. Do you understand this? You need to realize the importance of the Holy Spirit. The Christian life is supernatural. Okay? You are no more able to live the Christian life than you are able to save yourself. This is why God's plan was to send Himself to dwell in you. The Christian life is supernatural. Second thing I want to leave you with is don't downplay the Holy Spirit. Don't downplay the Holy Spirit. This is very popular in our day. Some have even called Him the forgotten God because He's been downplayed so much. He's the third person of the Trinity. Now, I want to share this with you. I love this church, and this is one of the things that I am very jealous for that this church would grow in, is a deeper understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit of God, that we would walk, in, that we would walk deeper into these things. I am very jealous for that. I want to share this with you. The downplaying of the Holy Spirit happens in basically two ways. Okay? You, can, you can downplay it in two different ways, and they're, and they're pretty different. I want to share these with you. The first way, I want you to be searching your heart when I'm, ta- when I'm, when I'm walking through this application. Do I do this? You ask yourself, do I do this, Lord? The first way the downplay of the Spirit happens is through a reaction it's through a reaction against charismania. Okay? What do you mean by that? I use the word charismania to draw a distinction between the word charismatic. So what do you mean? I mean this. Don't let other people hijack the Holy Spirit from you. Okay? Don't let that happen. The word charismatic means nothing more than a biblical understanding of the Spirit of God. It means nothing more than that. Okay? So what, what, what I'm calling you to is there's this such thing as a charismaniac that departs from the biblical understanding of the Spirit and it's Weirdsville. It is, it is Weirdsville. And God hates this. This is a dishonor of the Spirit of God. Okay? So, there are many, many charismaniacs that emphasize unbiblical teachings of the Spirit. Just like with many other heresies, there's an ounce of truth mixed into these things. Okay? Just like with any other heresies, there's, an, there's, a, there's a little bit of truth mixed in. And, 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 and as you see people make these mistakes, it's so clear in your mind that they are miles away from, from God, from, from the Word of God, and they departed. But you see that, and they, and they talk about this little ounce of truth, and you see it, and you react against it. And it's called reaction doctrine. Okay? 
And you see how far they are off as they talk about the spirit and spiritual things. And you just shut down and you react against it and you never bring it up and you never talk about it. This is the first way that the spirit is downplayed. It's through reaction doctrine. Okay? You let people hijack the Holy Spirit. That's the first way he's downplayed. The second way he's downplayed happens by replacing the Holy Spirit with the Bible. Okay? And for some, the Trinity can actually become Father, Son, Holy Bible. Say, what are you talking about? Let's talk about this for a minute. First off, you can never replace the Spirit with the Bible. The Spirit wrote the Bible. You can never replace the Spirit with the Bible. Now, let me say this before I go any further. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He's the Spirit of truth. And what I'm saying right now is not that you don't need the Bible, you need the Spirit. I'm not saying that. I never said that. <clears throat> Shove that so far away from your mind that you can't even remember it anymore. Okay? But what I am saying is do not ever replace the Holy Spirit with the Bible. Okay? Do you understand that it is such a foolish thing? It is so foolish to think that just because you know a few verses about something that you are automatically walking in the Spirit of God and being led by God's Spirit. Do you know how foolish that is? And if you don't, if you're not convinced, you need to study John chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 2 where we have vivid pictures of people and they're immersed in the Scriptures, but they don't even know God. Okay? Do not ever replace the Spirit with the Bible. This mechanical checklist approach, it's actually easier. Okay? You got your little checklist and, and everything's so tight and mechanical, but, but the Holy Spirit is a living personality. He hears, He grieves, and, and He's meant to be dealt with as a person, not a checklist. Okay? So do not ever trade a, an intimate walk with God for knowing information. This is what I'm trying to get at. Don't hear me. I'm, I'm telling you, you need the Word of God. You can't know the Holy Spirit without it. But I'm telling you that just because you know a few verses does not mean that you're walking in the Spirit. Okay? This is the second way that he's downplayed, that he's replaced in this way. And you replace, him, you replace a walk, you, you replace a personal, oh, intimate walk with the living God for knowing information. Don't ever do that. And he's downplayed like that in many, in many places by many people. Don't ever do that. And just last point in this regard about downplaying the Spirit. If you never talk about the Holy Spirit, then you are probably guilty of downplaying the Spirit. Okay? Number three, don't ignore the Christ-centered ministry of the Spirit, the New Covenant's Christ-centered ministry. And I want to leave you with this thought. If you ignore the Spirit in your life, do not be surprised that you don't see Jesus like you should. Jesus, as He's revealed to us in His Word, He grips our heart. And we say things like, Lord, You're the treasure in the field. In You is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. Lord, you're the only thing on earth that I desire. All my delight is in you, Lord Jesus. Okay? And you see things like that, but if you are downplaying the Spirit, if you're neglecting the Spirit, don't be surprised if Jesus doesn't grip your heart like that. Don't be surprised at all. This is, has to do with the Christ-centered ministry of the Spirit. Okay, last thing. Just because we receive the Spirit at conversion, and we do, this is an irrefutable fact from the Word of God, if we receive the Spirit at conversion, and we do, 
Okay? This does not mean that we are done with the Holy Spirit. Got Him back there? Done with Him. Move on to the next. It never means that. Okay? Listen to this. For example, we are to constantly seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To pray in the Holy Spirit. To pursue spiritual gifts. To desire even the highest spiritual We can't move Him back. At conversion, we're done with Him. We never have to deal with Him again. He's the living person. And we are to constantly be, to seek to be filled with the Spirit. But if this Christ-centered ministry of the Spirit is at the forefront of your mind, as you push into these things in obedience to God to be filled with the Spirit and to pursue the things of the Spirit, if the Christ-centered ministry of the Spirit is at the front of your mind, okay, it's going to keep you safe. It's going to drive If the Spirit of God would have you run on the highway, that's the highway, Christ-centeredness. Okay? So we can confidently, with this view, walk into everything the Lord has for us without getting distracted or in Weirdsville or, or somewhere. Okay? Christ-centeredness. The Holy Spirit drives us to Jesus. If you ignore this main aim of the Spirit of God, do not be surprised if you get off track with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And these are my words to you. Today And there are many other things that we could cover about the ministry of the Spirit of God. But this is the main thing, and this is all the time that we have. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for this church. God, I thank You, Lord, that the Spirit dwells in us, Lord. This is a beautiful promise that we, we, never, we never would have dreamed of this. We never came up with it, Lord. This is, your, this is Your mind. This is Your plan was to put Yourself in us, God. And God, I pray for this church that we, would, that we would exalt Jesus in all things. Lord, I pray for this church that you would give us fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would teach us of how to honor the Holy Spirit by exalting Jesus Christ in all things. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.